Welcome to Running on Ice, the coolest community in freight. I'm your host, Mary O'Connell, bringing you the latest tech updates, warehouse news, and everything happening in the cold chain world. Not only is there the coolest show in freight, but there's also Running on Ice, the newsletter that could not be colder. You can subscribe to that on freightwaves.com slash running on ice. Before we get into our guest interview, let's get into some headlines. There's a new effort at the southern border to strengthen the supply chain in Arizona's economy. In Nogales, at the Mariposa Land Port of Entry, the Customs and Border Patrol unveiled a new cold storage facility aimed at addressing America's supply chain challenges on Thursday. Hundreds of commercial trucks carrying produce and medicine cross through the port every day. During the summer, these goods need to be at a certain temperature to avoid spoiling. The goal of the cold storage base is to improve processing when importing these goods to the United States. Federal and state officials work together to find this solution to protect goods even in the peak of Arizona's summer heat. The frozen potato market on a global scale is expected to reach $92.7 billion by 2031, growing at a compound annual growth rate of 4.2% year over year. Prime determinants of the growth of the availability of a broader variety of frozen potato products, changing lifestyles, rapid urbanization, and the rising preference of the millennial population for ready-to-eat and ready-to-cook food drive growth of the global frozen potato market. On the other hand, several health hazards associated with consuming frozen food products restrain the market growth to some extent. However, new product launches and acquisitions by the market players are expected to create lucrative opportunities in the industry. Life has been breathed into the restaurant industry. Food traffic, foot traffic for restaurants in the U.S. is up 2% year over year. Quick service restaurants like Qdoba and Chipotle are up 3% year over year, whereas full service restaurants have an overall dip in volumes but have had a stronger rebound to the breakfast and lunchtime seating since the pandemic sent everybody home. We are seeing strong customer traffic at breakfast and morning snack, which means consumers are looking for convenience and affordable meals and snacks. The return to restaurants adds some more demand to produce and other cold storage warehouses. Today, we are joined by Fred Wu, CEO of Delta Track. Welcome to Running on Ice, Fred. Yeah, so thank you, Mary, and, uh, you know, for having me on the show. Uh, I hope they have a little bit of fun this morning. <laughs> I think it'll be a good time. But before we jump into everything today... Why don't you give us a brief rundown on yourself and kind of how you got started with Delta Track? Yeah, sure. Um, I'm uh, originally from Japan. I came to the U.S. Uh, for college. I uh, got my degree in engineering uh, from USC and um, uh, went to night school for my uh, graduate degree in finance. So, uh, but uh, before starting uh, Delta Track, um, uh, I was working for a medical uh, device company uh, that uh, pioneered the uh, first clinical electronic thermometers. Uh, that is now used in the uh, hospitals. And that's how I got uh, involved in uh, temperature monitoring that kind of brought me into the uh, the coaching business. Uh, so uh, back in 1989, uh, I founded uh, Deltrek uh, in Modesto, California, which is located in the uh, Central Valley, uh, where many of our customers um, who are in the, um, uh, uh, the variety of, you know, who are in the uh, uh, growing industry for different types of perishable commodities, um, uh, and my first, uh, product that I, um, um, I designed was a, uh, disposable temperature recorder, uh, which is, uh, used to track temperature conditions in refrigerated vehicles, uh, on a, a strip chart paper, uh, doing the, uh, transport of, uh, perishables across the country. 
So uh, uh, with that said, uh, over the past 30 years, um, uh, there's been uh, quite a bit of um, uh, cold chain uh, you know, market uh, needs uh, significantly in both food and non-food industry sectors. Um, and uh, uh, with that, uh, uh, especially with the um, advancements in technology such as the internet, uh, it gave us an opportunity to uh, uh, apply, uh, you know, uh, leading cutting-edge technology uh, to provide real-time uh, cold chain IoT as a service uh, uh, through um, uh, our type of industries, you know, uh, based on our experience that we had over the last 33 years. Uh, and uh, we now are offering our services uh, from uh, about 11 offices throughout the world that we, uh, we've established. I like it. You guys, you literally like started with like the original temperature monitoring. Like you started from the bottom and now you have this really fantastic um, thing that you guys actually, uh, for those who don't know, Delta Tracking recently just got this patent for a single platform that tracks perishable goods from basically like from the growing environment to the lab to the point of sale, like I guess kind of just jumping right in, what was kind of the driver for this um, technology development? Like, I mean, you like you said, you've seen the industry grow and all this technology happen to it. So what kind of led you guys to, you know, create this pro, this single platform? Uh, yes. Uh, so this uh, patent that, uh, you know, we received recently uh, is called the, uh, the method of uh, managing information, you know, from the supply chain of uh, uh, perishable commodities. Uh, so for the... Um, uh, the past 30 years, I um, you know noticed that the uh, commercial software platforms like the ERP and the uh, supply chain management platforms uh, uh, were always um, uh, separated, you know, from the the quality systems that provided the condition of the content of the cargo due to environmental impacts. Uh, so because of uh, you know uh, this became uh, you know very evident uh, you know where uh, when uh, COVID hit us. Um, as everyone's asking the two questions, you know, where's my cargo and what is happening to the condition of my cargo? So what we did was to, you know, combine uh, the ERP and the EDI transaction data with uh, device data uh, from IoT devices uh, to uh, show not only where the cargo is, but also provide uh, the quality condition of the perishable items inside the vehicle uh, that is transporting the cargo. Uh, so this uh, chain of custody ecosystem uh, panel allows us to uh, further um, uh, integrate different types of data sets um, and trace that to a uh, purchase order or a uh, bill of lading uh, number to further provide um, additional value services like um, a maritime tracking or uh, document management, uh, automated claim services, and even we're working uh, with a, um, a cargo insurance uh, uh, company that could provide uh, preferred uh, you know, insurance uh, rates, you know, to the uh, uh, customers that's in this uh, uh, industry sector. I like it. You guys are kind of, you really just created that one-stop shop for people that like, you know, you don't really need to go get all these different systems. Just come here. We have the visibility. We have the data. We have everything that you need. Just kind of like a, don't worry, we got you. Yeah, yes, absolutely. And uh, the fact is that, uh, you know, uh, both transaction data and uh, device data has always been separate. And, you know, having that on one single platform is a very big, uh, you know, advantage for all of the uh, users, you know, within the supply chain. Oh, exactly. I can't tell you. I mean, 
from the freight broker side, when I was a broker, I uh, can't tell you how many times I would sit there and, you know, just have to go through like four or five different screens just to get a load booked or to figure out a price on something. And that, you know, it takes time and it eats away at how much you can, you know, get done with in, in a day. So I, uh, I'm a strong proponent of anything that means I only have to log into one system and I don't have to sit there and wait for them to talk to each other or, you know, if this system decides that it wants to be finicky today and then all of my loads don't transfer over correctly and then I'm sitting there. Basically, it's just it's better off when it's just all in one. And, you know, you guys provided that. Absolutely. So I guess um, you kind of touched on a little bit with some of your customers, like they wanted that visibility as well as like what's happening with their load, what kind of was going on with it. How does this kind of continuous temperature monitoring help uh, specifically in like the food waste side? So um, because that's one of the major things in the produce in the food industry is that there's so much waste and a lot of it is a result of improper handling in the supply chain. So kind of how does this continuous temperature monitoring help prevent that from happening? Uh, yeah. So Mary, you know, according to the um, uh, USDA, um, you know, between uh, 30 to 40% of the uh, food supply is wasted as, uh, you know, we've heard several times, uh, of which about 14% of that uh, is lost between the harvest to the retail. Uh, so, uh, and as you well know, fresh produce is, uh, is alive and breathing, uh, and the respiration rate increases about, uh, two to four times, uh, uh, for every 10 degrees C, which is about, um, 18 degree Fahrenheit, uh, increase in temperature, uh, which proportionally, um, uh, decreases the shelf life. So continuous monitoring temperature in real time provides, um, you know, actionable data, uh, and the opportunity to um, uh, to take corrective actions, uh, which uh, prevents uh, you know food waste uh, before a uh, uh, product is damaged. So you know having this kind of visibility you know gives you a tool you know uh, to to provide you with the opportunity to take some actions to prevent things and not just uh, you know uh, uh, looking at things after the fact. And it's kind of one of those where. That way, if you know that it's going to happen and you know that it's going to be a problem, you know, a couple like in the, if you have a load of lettuce going through the middle of Arizona and it's 100 degrees outside, that lettuce can't survive in a box in a truck at 100 degree temperature. Like it's going to wilt and spoil probably 45 minutes on the road. So I like that you guys kind of um, are like that, you know, that knowledge is there, that industry awareness is there to know that like, well, we have to track this stuff because otherwise we're basically just wasting everyone's time if we're not going to do anything about it. And we're not going to make sure that we have this temperature visibility um, because otherwise the driver's going to get there. The load's going to be spoiled. The shipper's not going to be happy. The receiver's not going to be happy. The driver's not going to be happy that, you know, they have this spoiled load that they can't do anything with or they have to find a way to dispose of it. So I really think that that's kind of beneficial for everyone, like throughout the steps of you know, knowing when things are. And if you have a reefer unit that's not working, just find that fa- find that out faster than, you know, the oops, it arrived and now it's wilted. Yes, absolutely. I mean, you're trying to prevent uh, these uh, disasters or damages, you know, is basically the, the significant benefit for all the uh, parties participating in the supply chain. Absolutely. And I think that like just 
I think a lot of people kind of get swept up and like, oh, we have to use all these buzzwords. We have to do all this stuff. But it just at the end of the day, like it has to be beneficial for everyone involved. And I think a lot of people forget that like, oh, and like when they don't want to share everything, they want to hold on to everything secretly. Like they forget about the other partners in the supply chain that they work with that could benefit from some data sharing, you know? Yeah. And, uh, you know, collaboration, I think, is very key. And uh, having that uh, opportunity through, uh, you know, real-time visibility provides that type of a uh, uh, circumstance in business, uh, which has not been there uh, before, where, uh, you know, uh, in, you know, previously people would archive, uh, you know, their own data and their own silos. But uh, with real-time monitoring, you know, since everybody has an opportunity uh, to see what's going on with that particular transaction or that particular trip, and if there is, you know, certain, uh, you know, uh, risks there, it's in the best interest, you know, for all parties to take, uh, you know, uh, to participate in trying to mitigate that risk and to avoid, you know, these, uh, you know, wasteful and, uh, 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 you know, non-productive uh, incidents that could happen. And if they have an opportunity to prevent it, why not? You know, so I think uh, everybody is, you know, kind of looking at that uh, as an opportunity to further enhance uh, the uh, the traditional business model that has been around for a long time to more of a preventive, you know, type of a uh, um, uh, program uh, using uh, real-time visibility. Yeah, I think it's no longer the years of, oh, I'm going to see if I can pull one over on you or if I'm going to see what I can get. I think it's now just a much more collaborative approach because that's what everybody wants. Like, that's what everyone has spoken for. But I guess when it comes to some of those challenges that come with it, what are some of those like most common challenges you guys come across that um, comes with the temperature monitoring in that food in that food supply chain? Yeah, so um, uh, because there are several different entities uh, that uh, touches on uh, the particular food product uh, during the supply chain needs uh, uh, to you know maintain the optimum conditions. Uh, the knowledge and the tools that uh, they are uh, that have access to, I think, is uh, you know is very important. Um, especially with the um, agricultural products, uh, they all have different uh, you know optimum temperature handling and storage requirements. So uh, manual data collection is uh, subjective, you know, prone to human errors. Uh, so continuous, uh, you know, uh, real-time monitoring uh, with um, uh, electronic radio frequency or Wi-Fi uh, loggers, uh, you know, automate the process, uh, in the, which eliminates these problems. Um, and then uh, uh, the data, uh, you know, from the the cloud-based uh, platform can be integrated um, into the uh, chain of custody uh, uh, platform, which would provide, uh, you know, visibility to all of the participants uh, in that particular transaction. I think that it's really important that we, you know, continue to focus on the visibility portion as much as everybody hates the word visibility and wants it to be, uh, we feel like we feel like we've maybe beat that proverbial horse dead. Um, but I mean, it is really important now that we have all these tools and everything, it's kind of about knowing what to do with it because you can have all the best, you know, visibility tools and you can have all the best monitoring services in the world. But until you have something, you have someone sitting there like knowing what to do with it and how to take actual steps from it, I feel like, you know, you just paid a lot for some really cool equipment. Yes, absolutely. So I guess what are some of those um, big success stories or, you know, some of those case studies that um, 
have uh, businesses that have successfully kind of reduced food waste um, through like a single platform technology versus, you know, maybe having four or five different systems? Oh, uh, yeah. As far as uh, some case studies, um, uh, we had a, um, a customer out of uh, uh, Chile that was exporting uh, blueberries to the U.S., uh, uh, so Vulcan Foods uh, sent uh, you know two containers of uh, you know blueberries uh, on the same ship to uh, you know from Chile to Philadelphia. Uh, uh, several days after the ship arrived, the um, uh, it was discovered that the customer had uh, uh, neglected to pick up one of the containers, you know, out of the two. So fortunately, because uh, Vulcan Foods was using uh, uh, a uh, our uh, a real time monitoring system. Uh, which uh, was uh, traced, you know, with a uh, purchase order number and a bill of lading number, uh, we were able to notify the customer that, hey, you know, there is a container that's still sitting in the port that has not moved, and I think you should pick it up uh, before you're going to have, some, uh, you know, severe damages on uh, on your uh, on your content. So the you know they they were able to pick up the container even it was delayed so there could have been some shrinkage but uh, you know uh, that in itself had uh, uh, that prevented uh, you know the product uh, you know uh, from uh, from a total loss. We also uh, uh, just recently uh, shipped about eight hundred uh, cherry uh, containers uh, as a pilot program uh, using our two channel uh, real time uh, loggers from Chile to China. Uh, during the last, uh, you know, New Year's, uh, you know, China, Chinese New Year's season, uh, with uh, Safe Cargo and the uh, inspection company called Deco Fruit, um, who is now uh, compiling all of the uh, arrival conditions um, uh, of the uh, the quality of the product uh, using the single platform technology to see how it had uh, positively impacted the uh, shelf life and the reduced shrinkage. So we're all, um, uh, you know, uh, we're all very, very interested in some of these studies that, uh, you know, uh, we are participating uh, with our, uh, our customers and uh, service providers. I like it because it's, it's kind of one of those where, okay, we've made this system, but like, is it actually helping people? Is it actually being beneficial? Is it actually serving the purpose that we want it to? And um, I also did not know, maybe this is just my lack of knowing what girls wear. I did not know Chile was such a blueberry and cherry hub. Like, I had no idea that it was such a popular place to make maybe grow some fruit. Yeah, well, as you well know, well, you know, the northern hemisphere and the southern hemisphere has reverse seasons. So, you know, uh, you know, right now it's still summertime, you know, in, in, in Chile, which, uh, you know, I'll be uh, attending the uh, Cherry Summit, uh, you know, next week, you know, down there in uh, Santiago, Chile. So it, it will be still warm in Chile at that time, <laughs> not Chile, Chile. But, uh, <laughs> mm-hmm. yes, but the, there's, a, you know, uh, cherries, blueberries, asparagus, uh, you know, there's a significant number of, uh, you know, uh, avocados, you know, those are all, uh, you know, uh, perishable commodities that are significantly, uh, you know, uh, popular. Uh, and uh, it's, uh, you know, uh, the Southern Hemisphere is a uh, uh, significant uh, growing area for these, uh, you know, uh, high value commodities that uh, we all enjoy during our winter months. I know. I mean, I personally enjoy being able to access blueberries year round. I think I just never thought about where it came from, like everybody. Um, it just, you go to the grocery store and it's there. But um, yeah, I definitely uh, learned something new today about chili growing a hefty amount of the produce I see in the grocery store in our in our in our winter months. Yes. 
correct. <laughs> um, but I guess so when it kind of you kind of mentioned that you were um, specifically in that one case study that you had um, two containers and one got picked up and one didn't um, kind of how through this new technology that's come out and um, all of these new ESG initiatives, kind of what does the kind of what does the future look like for, you know, temperature monitoring and um like, you know, visibility technology working together to kind of reduce carbon emissions or carbon footprints for companies. Yeah. So, um, um, you know, as you all know, um, I'm, I'm not sure, but, uh, you know, a lot of food go into landfills, right? Uh, so when it goes into landfills, it produces uh, methane gas, which is uh, 86 times more um, harmful than carbon dioxide. So uh, by reducing the 14% of the food that gets uh, compromised between harvest and retail, just that por portion can have a huge positive uh, carbon footprint uh, impact uh, by preventing shrinkage caused by, um, you know, uncontrolled, uh, you know, temperature supply, uh, you know, uh, conditions. So um, I think something like that has a direct, uh, you know, correlation uh, of just addressing, you know, reducing the amount of food that goes into landfills, which in turn has another impact, you know, from uh, methane gas, uh, you know, type of situation. So, um, you know, not everything is directly correlated, but has a lot of indirect uh, impacts on our environment, uh, which I think is, uh, you know, is very important. Not to mention that, you know, uh, if you have so much waste and, uh, you know, uh, uh, and uh, concerns, of food, you know, not being consumed, just trying to replace that food, you know, it takes so much energy. <laughs> so the energy is, you know, the water, the amount of water that goes into, you know, uh, into, you know, reproduce that particular, you know, commodity, you know, type of situation, the labor cost that goes into it, the fuel cost to, you know, to, uh, you know, both manufacturing and to transport it uh, and to refrigerate it. So there's a significant amount of, uh, you know, indirect impact you know, that uh, uh, food, uh, you know, waste and, uh, uh, and you know, uh, these, you know, uh, mishandling uh, conditions can cause, you know, uh, uh, the, uh, the impact of, you know, uh, carbon emission, I think. Yeah, I think it kind of, I mean, I am anyone who's sat here and listened to me ramble on and set up on the big sustainability there. And so anything that I think anything that can, you know, reduce food waste in the supply chain and just reduce it in general is one of the best moves that we can take. Um, because, you know, there's a lot of landfills that are also reaching capacity. So it's one of those where, you know, we can't just turn landfills into like our own neighborhoods because that's not very, nobody wants to live along, among, among trash, um, except maybe Wally. Um, but we are almost out of time. And so everyone that comes on the show has to answer this question. And it might be one of the hardest questions you get asked all day today. Are you ready for it, Fred? Sure. <laughs> is cereal a soup? Is cereal a soup? Great question. <laughs> well, um, the first thing that comes to my mind is uh, my five-year-old daughter uh, eating her cereal in the morning. Uh, and I see her, she's mixing things around until the milk changes the color, uh, you know, depending on the flavor, you know, type of situation. And when the cereal is mushy, uh, you know, she kind of starts slurping it up. So to me, I think that example makes me say it's soup. 
I like it. I like it. That's a, I think that's a, it's a pretty good one. Uh, if anyone wants to find you outside of the show to, you know, get the, get the down low on temperature monitoring or anything like that, where can they find you? Yeah. So we're on LinkedIn. Our website is uh, deltrack.com. And, uh, you know, we have a you know, email address of salesinfo at deltrack.com. Uh, so please, uh, you know, get hold of us uh, in any one of these days, these ways. Awesome. Thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you very much. You can catch other episodes of Running on Ice right here on Freight Waves TV, YouTube, or anywhere you get your podcasts, such as Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Meanwhile, Running on Ice News, subscribe to the freight to the newsletter on freightwaves.com slash running on ice. See you on the internet. Mm-hmm.